0: Welcome to what is it about the weather? Your weekly podcast where we talk all things weather-related, but not so much about the weather. So if you need a weather forecast, this is probably not the place to get it. Now, I'll apologize in advance if you're hearing a little background noise. I'm actually out in the weather today. Well, not so much. It's kind of uh, it's clearing up a little bit, but my. Well, my Intertwined Weather Week has put me in a position where I'm going to have to do a little recording outside on the fly, so hopefully the quality will be okay and the background noise won't be too bad. Let's just say that I had to find a place near where I was doing after final exam period. I'm wrapping up the course this week and had to uh, be on campus. So I'm outside so as not to disturb all these fine, bright, young minds that are studying for their... Final exams here as we end spring semester in a nice balmy Atlanta, Georgia, where we're expecting some summertime heat, but the, the noises around me are most definitely related to, uh, you might even hear the steam whistle, that's a kind of a Georgia Tech tradition, but the noises around me are related to people moving around, doing their, their thing as they prepare for exams, but also just the noises of, of buildings is they have to air condition them and if you ever really stop and listen to that noises on in some places and particularly in the campus here it can get pretty loud so i've tried to pick a quieter spot but i apologize in advance if you're getting some of that background noise coming through any case maybe it'll, it'll make it feel more alive as opposed to being in my normal quieter more subdued location so let's push on through now I had talked about this week. You know, I'd mentioned that I wanted to get into industries related to weather at some point, and I've you know I keep kind of coming back to them, and I keep not getting to them, and I'm going to do that to you again, because I wanted to talk weather and energy. I've spent a lot of time in my weather-related career around the energy industry. And we're coming up on hurricane season here in the North Atlantic, and that's kind of a good time to get into that topic. But I'm going to put it off for another month. I I promise I'm going to come back to it. I'm not I'm not abandoning that idea from anything because it's definitely a very weather intertwined component. However, however, before doing that, you know, as I was preparing for the podcast and even thinking about it from that perspective, there were so many kind of core components that i wanted to make sure we cover together because even though there is a huge amount of effort and energy no pun intended well i guess you know it's that that phrase no pun intended that you say it right after you made a pun i, I really didn't need that to make the pun but there's so much energy that's spent with weather forecasting particularly as it relates to to the energy and utility industries. I mean, and you can think about imagining different components and we'll walk through those in a future episode. But I thought what would be a good primer is if we step back for a bit, right? And really thought about the connection between weather and energy creation. That's just a small piece really when you think about the, the weather energy industry connection. So I really wanted to focus in on that part and think about it from a few things that I've been involved in um, because I've been involved with products that, you know, were geared towards specifically not just the energy industry in a broad sense, but but the creation of energy. And, it, and it's amazing when you think about it, when you think about the ability of how much energy is just in our planet, just naturally in our planet. And one of the first areas people always talk about is they talk about Hurricanes and the amount of energy in hurricanes or tropical cyclones, if you prefer. Of course, it, it really, ma- you know, that, that phraseology is going to depend on what part of the, the world you're in. You know, are you in one of those areas that has hurricanes? Around my area, that's, you know, it's just kind of a common name. But tropical cyclone, if you will. I mean, that, that's kind of the, the more common phraseology that, that's used across the globe. You know, we have hurricanes, some other people have typhoons, but they're all essentially what we would call tropical cyclones. But the amount of energy that is in a tropical cyclone is really quite impressive. Now, the real question is, can you do anything with it? Not necessarily how much is in there. So in a raw sense, uh, you know, and I've, there's, a, there's a group here that's part of NOAA. Called the Hurricane Research Division. They've got a nice website. Again, I'll put it in the show notes where they do some nice calculations. I think the calculations, I'm not a hundred percent sure who did this. Oh yeah, it was done by Chris Lancy, uh, who works down at the National Hurricane Center and has for many years. But it goes into there's two types of energy really, right? There is the the wind energy that you think about, but we're going to come back to wind. Okay, so that that's one component of it. But really, more of the energy. Is actually through what we call the condensation process and we've talked about you know the simple process of condensation before and it generates a huge a huge amount of energy all right so he did an example of the total energy released through you know an average hurricane and it came up to you know how much is it per day and The energy per day is equivalent to 200 times the worldwide electrical generating capacity. You know, you think about that for a moment. Just imagine a hurricane, one hurricane a year could produce that much energy. Now, the challenge with all that is it's highly distributed. As you know, condensation is taking place everywhere, right? It's, It's going on all around us in that storm. Little droplets are condensing. But it's very distributed. You know, tropical cyclones can also be enormous. They can be as large as some continental areas. They, they can be huge areas. They're not always, of course. But if you take one of those average size storms, you know, fairly good size storm, and you think about how much that generates, but it's happening at all layers of the atmosphere, potentially, right? And, and even in all those little dots. So there's really no way to grab all that energy. And even if you did, if you absorbed all that energy the moment it was created, well, then the tropical cyclone would disappear. So part of that energy is feeding its processes that it needs to be what it is, okay? So realistically, it's kind of hard to, even if you pulled some of it off, let's just say you wanted to harness some of it. If it was possible, if it was really possible, and again, there's there's another, a second little thing about, could we even harness the energy that's on that same website that I'll put in that was done by a different person, okay? So I don't want to, uh, not give proper credit. Let's see. Let me pull up that one if I can here real quick while we're talking about it. And it was contributed by Neil Dorst, who has written up a nice little thing. <laughs> he has this little mobile device that he talks about. But, you know, we've talked about harnessing hurricanes. Usually we talk about it in, in the sense of, could we dissipate them so that they weren't as destructive? Or could we steer them at least in ways that didn't impact people? But the challenge, as as he even writes up, and I kind of talked to a little bit, is this there's this huge amount of energy, but it's it's so widespread, you know, it's it's just hard to get any meaningful amount. So the idea is great, but it's not really realistic. So that's probably one that when you think about weather, that's probably one of the biggest producers of energy in a pure sense, or these huge systems that where condensation occurs. And, and tropical cyclones are just one of the best for thinking about that. Now we can move from tropical cyclones to something like lightning, right? So, so we make the shift from very big things to something very point specific, right? So a lightning strike hits. And what if we could absorb that? Well, even as powerful as a lightning strike is, it's a lot less energy. And, I, and I've seen different estimates, but, but imagine a an old traditional light bulb. And I, and I think I saw an estimate that an average lightning bolt delivers enough energy to provide enough power for... Six months of lighting a light bulb, certainly significantly less than we're talking about hurricanes. But, you know, there's lots of lightning bolts that come through when thunderstorms come through and all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine, you know, if you have not just thousands, potentially millions of of lightning bolts around the globe each year, it could still be meaningful. Now, we run into the same problem with how do you capture it, right? Now, you could argue that you set up buildings such that they have lightning rods all over them and their goal is to capture that lightning, but really, would they get struck often enough at the at the points of collection to grab all that energy? And even if you could, you would need some way to store it when it came in. And this is this gets into things like solar energy. I mean, one of the biggest problems we have with solar energy is now that the prices are coming down, that's been a big thing for a long time, right? We want to use the sun and the natural light around us and the energy coming from the sun. You know, it's just weather 101 kind of stuff. It's a tremendous amount of energy, as we know. I mean, solar power is great, and it may still be the wave of the future. But one of the bigger challenges we have is we are still very limited on battery technology or storage technology. So even these other things that we talked about, but it's really, when we get to solar, that's that's one of the big challenges is the panels have become more efficient. The processes have become less expensive. And we've even got people like Elon Musk with his solar city. And it's, it's really neat technology. I mean, just imagine when you have normal-looking roofs, not these big solar panel-looking roofs, but normal kind of classical, traditional-looking roofs, all of a sudden have the ability to pull in that energy. But you need to be able to capture it and keep it at the time that it's being generated so you can use it whenever. And while, again, Elon Musk and others are looking in, how do we do better storage? We're still a long ways away from being able to do that. Well, long ways away today. And I say that because as somebody who's been in and around technology for a long time, this has kind of been the battery conversation has been the, one of those just blockades for us doing even more than we do. We've been talking about it for years, and yes, we've make, made advances, but nothing like we have in other areas of technology. So someday we may get there. So where does this leave us? We've got all these things going on. You know, energy, it's interesting. I read a little bit about solar energy. And, you know, you hear about it a lot of times, talk to the context of climate change. And one of the things I always look at with energy, because we talk about fossil fuels and some of the things that are not per se weather related, we are always talking about the impact on the environment. And solar has, you know, I've always wondered, it is, realistically, if we pull all the solar energy and use it as Generating energy that we can use to light buildings and other things, how will that impact the climate of the planet? And it does, studies have shown that it could have some impact. There, I'll put a link up of, of one example. But we're still a long way from really understanding all the n- dynamics there. And I think until you had an install base, one of, some of those things is a lot of times we learn much later. We learn after the fact, right? But solar, generally speaking, is probably. You know, let's say a hundred years from now 200 years from now whatever it might be the long-term thinking is is that's likely going to become the primary source through, through which we gain energy but we're again we're a long way from there so now we get back to this this again which is wind and energy okay we, we've heard it mentioned in the hurricanes you know we solar and, and lightning you don't necessarily see it and even things like water I I, I kind of am skipping water here. Because water's been used to create energy for a long time. And certainly part of our water supply system is through the rain and snow process and snow melt. But there are water sources that are fed other ways that aren't necessarily what I would call weather related. So I kind of skipped that. And as you can imagine, so many things with water. And even as I was looking at other things like wind, you know, water comes up with water wheels and things we've used for a long time. Um, I went and hiked last summer at a little stream here. It's not huge, but they had a water wheel that they did for processing cotton. You know, it was 100 years ago, and it was enough energy then. But, you know, what happens when you have a drought? What happens if you're not near a water source like a stream? So it's not always that easy. Now, one thing that happens the world over, generally speaking, and some places, don't get as much as others, but kind of a worldwide phenomenon. You don't have to be near a stream and everything that that's out there every day. And even as this helicopter goes by above me, that's out there every day, is wind. A helicopter has to deal with it. Right? We deal with it all the time. Very fundamentally, wind. Right? It's a very simple concept. Wind is created because of pressure differences between two points. It's a very fundamental, basic weather concept. Nothing fancy. No phase changes in water, condensation type stuff. This goes on all the time. Right, it's a little windy around me today, but as it warms up and you know temperatures stabilize a little bit in the region, I'll probably have a little less wind. But wind, we've been using wind. It, it, you know, it's a it's a fundamental physics thing. When you, energy is essentially work that you're doing on something, right? I, I You know, I'm not going to get into all the physics terminology, one, because I'm not the best physics person in the world. But, but two, because I don't want to lose the idea. But, but think of wind as it provides you the capability of, of doing work on some other device. okay? Now, in the early days, we've been using wind to move ships and things through sails for, for ages. right? That was kind of the first way we harnessed wind. But that's not... That is energy in a pure physics sense, like I said, because we're doing work on the sail and it's pushing the boat along. But but it's not energy in how we think about it. or using it to do some sort of alternate processing, I guess, is the best way I like to really think about when we think about energy personally. So it started in ships. Again, thousands of years we've been doing that. But sometime, sometime in the last, I don't know, thousand years. Now, there's some debates on this. Whose history you look at. Could be a couple thousand years, but sometime in that time frame, and again, there's a debate of whether it was in, you know, the far eastern Asia or whether it was in the Persian region. You know, I'm going to stick with the the evidence that we have today. This may change. I recognize this may change, but at some point, somebody understood the idea of having wind blow against something else like a sail, and that's where it would have started, like a sail. But instead of that sail being fixed and just moving a device, that it would move some alternate device and provide some capability. So somewhere, somewhere along the lines and all that, someone figured out that wind, very fundamentally, could turn a wheel. And there are different types. We, we have both what we would call a, a, a horizontal placement or a vertical placement, and those things have changed over time as well. But over time, what they would do is that wind would, would rotate a wheel, okay, for, for a simple concept. It would rotate a wheel. And, and what would that wheel do? Well, very simply, it would then do something else. So unlike a ship, like I said, we're, we're getting a whole different process in place. So it's been primarily used for two things, two things that it did. The first of this is getting us water, right? So wind has been used to source water for ages and again whether it's whether it's a thousand years whether it's 600 years whether it's 2000 years doesn't matter fundamentally that was kind of the first thing for pumping water in areas that didn't have water readily available but that had wind the other thing and in this kind of as it migrated as this knowledge migrated other people figured out different ways to use it It then became, and you've probably seen some of these in old movies and stuff, it would turn or move through an energy process. Not energy. This is what's really kind of neat about it, right? We don't think about electrical energy as being all that old. But the ability to harness power and energy has been going on for a very long time. And long before we had light bulbs and things like that, wind energy was giving us the ability to process plants and crops of different types and to do different processing. And, and as we advanced, even again, still before a, what we would consider a le- typical electrical energy, wind was providing us to do all sorts of processing. And it was typically used in farming environments, you know, driving some other sort of turning mechanism. But again, think about original windmills where it was it was wood. It was wood and cloth, yet we were harnessing the power of what the wind gave us. Now, over time, of course, this would switch to metal f- frames. And, you know, I read even in, in the U.S., so as as people expanded and moved west, settlers moved westward across traditional U.S. territory, they installed these devices, and these devices, again, were primarily used, right, for generating a pumping mechanism for pulling water out of the ground in areas that didn't necessarily have lots of rivers and lakes that everybody didn't have the benefit of one of those water sources close by. There was abundant water in the water tables below the surface, but they needed to pull that up and make it available. So it's kind of incredible when you think about it. We've been using wind for a very long time, and still today, when you look at what we would call traditional renewable energies, it's probably one of the most prominent sources today that we have available to us. Extensive maps have now been done for different regions around the globe. That what's the you know best areas where there's consistent wind, because that's really what you want to have available, right? Or at least some sort of known. So areas where wind flows are more common. Now, that's not to suggest that you don't have issues as, as we looked, is anything. With all these people we got on the planet, everybody want energy each each mechanism for generating energy is going to have its own problems and wind is really no different right wind is really no different and in this case you've we're starting to see real concern about does it change the downstream weather of where we're installing these huge turbines you know turbines are now things that are you know 80 to 120 meters in the air and they've got these enormous blades on them but the trust me these are more efficient than the old turbines and there's also concern about wildlife and all these things are real we still need to deal with those challenges but in the short term wind may really be the answer in terms of energy as we look to moving away from traditional coal and fossil fuels and the reason being you know whether you get past the environmental concerns for a moment with traditional fossil fuels they're not endless. And yes, we have abundant supplies in the short term, but we need, as with all things, to always be thinking about these new things. And wind is, in a lot of ways, it's just easier. Now, a lot of people say, you know, turbines create ice source, but some of them could just be out over the oceans. And, and, and again, we're, we're looking at exploiting those areas more as well. But as with all things, you evaluate that. But I, I just think about wind energy for a moment. So, a single turbine of one of these large turbines today, and just think about how much energy is in wind. I mean, one of the challenges that we've always had with, like a a combustion engine in a car, is they're highly inefficient. So fuel source and environment, all that aside, it's not a very efficient process, whereas wind, we're, we're continually learning how to get the maximum energy out of that wind. So that wind, a single turbine, traditional kind of modern turbine, can generate in its year, okay, enough energy to power roughly 200 homes, single turbine. Now, you do the math, and that still may not be enough, right? May not be enough. But it's incredible to think about how something as simple as wind, just the wind blowing, can do so much. When you stop and think about potentially 2,000 homes a year, single turbine, you put up a single turbine, then a small community can be powered. It's pretty incredible. And and that's that's the neat part of weather when you think about it and how it's involved in our life is it's capable of so much. And, and too often we think about it as destructive you know, tropical cyclone moves through and how destructive it can be and that's real and we have to deal with that and those are different industries right emergency management insur- insurance we're going to get in all these things over time but also the raw power that's available is just incredible so there's your little energy weather primer And I promise sometime in the next month or so, maybe maybe it may sneak into July. I don't want to nail things down. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But hopefully you've enjoyed this little primer about how much energy there really is in the weather and ways that not only can we, but that we are harnessing that energy to help advance us along. An interesting tidbit as I got into this wind energy, there was a turbine that's been recently installed. Yeah, I mentioned an average turbine could do 2,000 houses a year. Well, they, they did a turbine, and it, and it broke the record for a single day. But if you do the math, essentially a single turbine that did in a month what an average turbine does in a year. So we continue to make those advances. It's, it's incredible when you think about it. And the, the wind doesn't have to be that fast. Actually, really fast winds are not good because it can damage equipment, and, and the turbines tend to shut down. So you want a lot of wind but not too much, right? Right. So over time, we'll see where this goes. We'll see where this goes. All right, so let's let's wrap up. You guys are probably tired of listening to the wind in the background here and listening to me, Babylon, out here in the hot, muggy weather, whatever it might be. Any case, let's let you get on your day and just say that uh, we appreciate the support for the podcast. I'm going to go through the RSVP. thing. I, I do want to point out, I mentioned before, that we have, I'm going to start with the P part. We're going to go backwards, okay, the pledge. For those of you that are getting value out of the podcast, consider going over to Patreon and supporting us with a regular donation. It can be as simple as a dollar a month. But there's also this PayPal thing. I'm, I'm finally, I, hopefully next time you'll hear it. I know that sometimes this microphone can get a little bit poppy. Or you might hear me be a little breathy in it. And this episode is probably going to be a classic example of that, given that I'm outside. But I was finally able, with a, with a PayPal donation from Jack, thank you, Jack, to, I'm going to be getting a little harness that's going to make it easier for um, me to position the microphone and have a filter on it that'll do it. See, simple things like that could go to improving the podcast. And I just wanted to thank, thank Jack again for that PayPal donation, which is the other way. You can do it with a single one-time donation if you prefer. But all the other things matter. So your financial support certainly helps offset the cost, but whether you're rating, whether you're sharing the podcast with the others, whether you're validating what we're doing by getting in touch with us and you know the ways, weather at gmail.com or they use the contact form at whatisitabouttheweather, any of those things, all of them help. All of them play a role in what we're doing and moving the podcast forward. So until next time, until next time, may you have interesting, intertwined weather life going on around you. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com weather. This is your two Red production. Productions.